The Napa Know How Motorsport Academy is back, bigger than ever, in 2022. Led by supercar star Bryce Forward as the driver mentor, the Academy offers tuition to all racers aged 13 and up, giving insights into the world of racecraft and analysis, plus information on health, sponsorship and media. On top of the information you'll receive, you can win regular prizes and best of all, it's free to join. Get involved at the new Napa Motorsport Asia Pacific Facebook and Instagram pages or visit the Napa Australia or New Zealand websites to sign up and be part of know-how that is synonymous with Napa. Start your engines. This is the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the first Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer Podcast. I'm Gary O'Brien and with me is Darren Smith. Thank you very much, Gary. I guess uh, so the world knows who we are. Better give a quick uh, pricey of what we've been up to in grassroots racing in our lives. How about you lead the way, old timer? <laughs> Only because I'm older than you, I'm senior. Yeah, where I started, well, I was born in Bathurst, so I had a little bit of heritage behind me straight away. I only went to two race meetings a year, Easter and October, and it just grew from there. I've been working for Auto Action Magazine since 1985, and together with you, we've been calling motor racing since, what, mid-2000s, I guess. Yeah, certainly. I guess I, I came onto the scene as a uh, commentator in 1999 after uh, I was born into motorsport. Um, used to haunt with Dad, um, Calder, Phillip Island, Winton, Sandown, all around the Victorian tracks. And Dad basically did all around the world. He had a lot to do with it. He's on the umpire side of the fence, the clerk of the course. And when I finished my racing career in the, at the end of the 90s, so I pretty much raced throughout the 90s and won little bits and pieces in Victoria with that. And uh, at the end of it, wanted to stay involved with motorsport and didn't want to be part of officialdom it sort of was something after being competitor I, I wanted to stay away from and a guy called Tom Norton who used to race a, a Valiant Charger and touring cars was the commentator at Phillip Island at the time and he said to me come upstairs and we'll uh, we'll show you the ropes and from that day on Gaz all I've ever done is copy what everyone else says and uh, repeat it on air so I've been involved with uh, with jet boat racing I was involved with um, numerous different race teams started my apprenticeship as a mechanic with Les Small moved on to Gibson Motorsport in the very, very early days of uh, the Godzilla racing, racing the HR31 Nissan and finished my days on the tools with um, winning the Sandown 500 with the Lamborghini GTR Diablo with uh, Paul Stokel at the wheel with Anthony Trapp. That was the last time I worked on a race car. I thought, well, we've just won the Sandown 500. That's the, the best way to go and have been in the commentary booth ever since. Yeah, and particularly our calling has been the grassroots or the support categories and that's where where we're based and this is what we were trying to get across on this podcast just what we do uh, to people who aspire to get into motorsport can start at grassroots whether it be as a support category at a feature event or whether it be state level it doesn't matter but hopefully with all the guests that we have and we've got a very special one coming up shortly uh, for this our first episode that will um, they'll be giving you some light as to which way to travel if you want to further your motor racing career. I guess our grassroots, as between you and I anyway, has been involved with um, the likes of Formula Ford, saloon cars, sports sedans, uh, Formula 3, um, sports races, prototypes, uh, all these different categories that 
have been predominantly at the Shannons Nationals, where you and I have worked together. But in your state, in New South Wales, and in my state, in Victoria, I call all of the, the state rounds here as well as part of the, the live streaming product there as well. And that includes BMW E30s, improved production, 944s, Formula V, Formula Ford. Uh, we start ticking the boxes, MG and Mark sports cars and, and all of these different sorts of categories that, that get to the racetracks at these distinctly uh, grassroots levels. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and we've seen drivers come from the basic or the bottom level of club sport and now racing in the top level. I was actually meeting with a customer the other day and uh, he said to me, oh, we used to sponsor a, a young bloke. His name was Jackson Evans. And I said, well, there you go. You jumped on a winner there. International career. Nothing to do with grassroots there, though. But, you know, it's just a, a conversation where you, you, you drop the fact that you're, you're involved at, uh, at motorsport and everyone's got a, a bit of a story to tell around that. So, um, you know, it's been fantastic over the years. You and I have had an absolute ball on air calling you know, in particular, I guess our, our first guest we're on our podcast is probably someone that both you and I have fanboyed a little bit because of the, the way that he's gone about his racing and, and that sort of thing. So um, certainly uh, we're going to be getting to all sorts of bits and pieces with, with grassroots motorsport, whether it be drivers, team members, even the media, racing categories, you'll speak to racing administrators and, and people who have made a difference at that grassroots level of, of motorsport volunteer officials you know they've all got a story and uh, quite often when you when you just scratch the surface the story is really interesting and we'll be talking to those people and these are the sort of people that we meet up afterwards you know when you're having a feed or a drink and at, at whatever establishments nearby depending where you are whether it be in Benalla when we're at Winton or it's in Cowes when we're at Phillip Island or uh, whether it's in Ipswich if you're at Queensland Raceway or Warwick when you're at uh, Morgan Park, you know, or the Barossa Valley when we're at uh, Malala or something like that. That's, yeah, that, that's one of my favourites. <laughs> we're not quite in the valley itself, but we are very close to it. <laughs> that by saying that, we we see the we, we see the people that are racing on the track. We know most of the crews. They know us to a certain point, or usually by saying, "Get out of the way, stupid! I'm trying to work on this car." Or, or, or the likes of that. And then we meet with the drivers and talk to drivers as well. So um, particularly with our guests coming up, uh, without letting too much out of the bag as yet, he is from the other side of the country. He is an 11-time uh, series winner and has dabbled in a little bit of overseas racing and also has raced in the development and domain game of supercars. Hey Gaz, you've been around for a while. What what led you to fall in love with motorsport? What 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 is it that keeps you coming back after all these years? Oh, it's a good question, I suppose, because it's the only income I got. It's been the first thing I'd say, but no, truly, I I thoroughly enjoy going to race meetings, and you know, I go from being at a say a, a speed series meeting one weekend to a club meeting the left the next, and then a historic the week after that. That's my itinerary over the, the three weeks that we're now talking. But I, I, I love the things that I mentioned, you know, the camaraderie, the, um, the, the fact that we get to talk to people, we see cars close up, uh, we enjoy the, the thrill of the battle that happens on the track. 
and we also enjoy the uh, aftermath, the talking. That's probably a big part about it. You're, you're sitting there and you'll see a heap of guys there and they're all from one category and they're saying, they're talking like they're in a super world. You know, they're, oh, yeah, but I was right in there and you cut me off and all that sort of stuff. But it's all done with a hand on the shoulder rather than, you know, with fifty cups. Although it can sometimes be, you end up like that. I think the, the one thing for me is the people and it's, a, it's, um, it's great to get to the track after, you know, these, these horrible times that we put the world found itself in. And when I, I remember driving back onto Phillip Island for Island Magic at the end of 2020, there was a small opening in Victoria to do something at that point and drove back over the bridge and I just had sort of tears welling up in my eyes and I went, what is it? And I, and I couldn't wait to get to the track with all the like-minded people. You go to the racetrack, you're in the pit and paddock area and it's people, they're all there to go racing and they've all got a, a common enjoyment and I also do enjoy the, the engineering aspect of it as well. Who's, who's going to engineer the mousetrap differently today? You know, you can have 35 uh, Porsche 944s all on track and they're all exactly the same, but someone's engineering something just a little bit different. Someone's incoming tyre pressure set is a little bit lower or a little bit higher or, or something like that. And then, yeah, the stories gathered around the... Uh, gathered around the fireplace as it was at the end of the day or uh, gathered around the Royal Hotel at Manella for a uh, dodgy Palmer meal or something like that. It's a good Palmer there. It is a good Palmer, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nothing, like, nothing like the Lindock Hotel in, uh, in South Australia, though. That was a good <laughs> yeah. At a Malala event. The, um, of course, a lot of um, what we do here is brought to you by Napa, and, of course, we... Uh, we'll be having the Napa Know How Motorsport Academy um, feature for this week, which will be uh, presented by uh, Grant Rowley. And, of course, it'll be with uh, Jet Johnson on this occasion. And, of course, we just know from this week what's been happening there. Um, it's a great uh, innovation with uh, the, a program they've now set up in Australia and New Zealand if you're a grassroots racer and you sign up now, you can win a chance to go to the 2023 Indy 500. I bags to be a uh, bag carrier for that one. Uh, the details for the competition are available on the website, which is uh, www.napaparts.com.au forward slash academy. And uh, that's well worth winning. It certainly is. And I believe... Uh... The, the Napa Know How Motorsport Academy media mentor, Grant Rowley, will be uh, next on our show. And I've got Jet Johnson on the line. He drives the Napa Auto Parts Ford Mustang in the Trans Am series and also the TA2 series. Jet, you're racing at a national level. You're still racing at a sort of state level in the TA2 series, but you came up through the ranks in... Hyundai Excels and karting and 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 all, and all of those things. Tell us about your grassroots racing experience. Oh, look, I think the uh, you know the biggest thing that was helping me out, you know, starting from quite a grassroots level, from you know, I guess the the very very start at go karts, then moving into even just a Hyundai Excel. The biggest thing that you know I could not get enough of was just the amount of knowledge of the people around me and you know the amount of advice that was getting you know passed on from both granddad dad 
and anyone else I could scab little bits of information out of. But, you know, the biggest thing for me was just listening to as many people as I could, reading as much stuff as I could. And, you know, just watching heaps of videos, watching races back and just trying to take in as much as I could. You certainly had some good, uh, good people to lean on to get that information. And obviously your goals are well beyond grassroots racing. You want to go right to the very top. But do you, but even you're still 17, but do you appreciate those, those younger years and those grassroots racing years that are going to, you know, hopefully give you that foundation to take it to the top level? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, starting right from, you know, the most grassroots category you can start from really, which is go-karts, you know, there's almost everything from karting you use in one way or another, in you know cars now i'm using you know most of the skills that i learn in carts now every time i get into a car so you know i think the most important thing is you know having the right you know having the right information given to you and you know trying to trying to build those foundation skills as best you can you know before you start even thinking about taking the next step up to any sort of next level category Cool. So, hey, the Napa Know How Motorsport Academy, it's a, uh, it's a really cool thing. It's something that I'm very grateful to be a part of as the media mentor, but there's some really cool guys and girls in there who have produced videos and produced content. That, uh, guys like yourself, guys and girls who race in the, the grassroots level categories can use, can learn from, can listen to. Um, what's your... Uh, what, what's something that you've sort of found inside the academy portal that you thought was, um, you know, something of, of a benefit to you? Oh, look, I think, you know, just the diversity of information that you can get from the academy, you know, from all sorts of aspects, whether that be media, whether that be training or dieting, whether that be actual in-car, you know, driving tips or mental tips, you know, it's really something that's, you know, I almost can't explain how valuable valuable it is to you know, listen to every little bit of information you can and read every little bit that you can. So I think the Academy is great for anyone that wants to go and try and, you know, read up and learn as much as they can, you know, from a really, really early start in their hopefully racing career. So, you know, I think the Academy is perfect for any grassroots racer or, you know, even national level racers that haven't quite had the people around them to give them, you know, the knowledge that they really, really would like. So, you know, the Academy is perfect for anyone that needs just that little bit, that little bit extra. Well, that was terrific. It's good to see uh, Jet Johnson, the family link continuing on there. Well, I guess there's a, a strong family link with our guest here, our main guest on our first ever episode here at Grassroots Racer for today. And it's a welcome from Western Australia, Tony Riccadello. As promised, we have our special guest coming on right now and it's Tony Riccadello. Hey Gary, Darren, how are you? Hey Tony, welcome to the uh, Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer podcast, mate. Great to see you. Hey, great to be here. We're going to start this off by um, going back to your grassroots, I guess, where you originally started out. I, I know Formula Ford was your first circuit racing car. A little bit about that and how the whole thing progressed from there to sports sedans. 
Yeah, mate, after a little bit of go-karts, um, got involved with um, Fastlane and, and drove one of the X-Scarf Tanda championship winning cars. And then um, after that, yeah, pretty much a few meetings with that and then got into the sports sedans. How was it that you convinced the owner of that particular sports sedan that you were worthy? Look, mate, it was it wasn't too hard at the time. We had had um, Bryce Smith was driving the car and had a little incident at um, Surface Paradise, and then um, had a little crash there at 300 k an hour, backed it into the turn one uh, corner, and um, yeah, brought it back. And I mean, after winning the weekend, the car was quite um, it was about an inch shorter on one side to the other, so. I said, look, Dad, it's already damaged and modified. Let me have a crack. So he gave me the chance to drive it. And um, one of the uh, next meetings was state title. So went for that, won that one and broke the lap record. So pretty much the rest is history. So basically you had a, a, a circle track sports sedan, much shorter one inch on, on one side there. So I had a bit of stagger. Yeah, it wasn't too bad for Wanneroo. So I mean, going up, up the hill, the left-hander probably struggled, but the rest of it was all right-handed, so it was good. Made it nice and quick. Now, you were, obviously it wasn't the last sports sedan you drove. There's been two since that. A bit about the development. I believe the first car was a, a steel-bodied car before you went into the space frame and built a purpose-built car. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the ones before that I, I didn't drive, um, but the very first one was a steel-bodied um, GTA Alpha um, that was modified. And then um, had a Ford motor. We got that one straight out of it and put a Chev in it. And then um, that was, um, yeah. So, and then, and then once that happened, then uh, I think it was 1983, the second one was built. And both both the cars, that first one and the second one, were sold to Joe Ricardo. Um, you might know the name. Um, but then then we built the third one in 92 by Kane Engineering. And then um, ever since then, the car's been modified you know, and, and upgraded and changed to the rules and obviously upgraded for performance and speed. So yeah, it's been um it's a it's been a pretty good old girl for us. Well obviously um you you're known for sports sedans, but you have raced in other categories as well, supercars, uh, the Conica series and even a little bit of production car racing. Initially I guess uh, we should talk about the first Bathurst run for you in in a supercar with uh, Thomas Mesera. Uh, how did that all come about? Um, did you, what did you have to do to make sure you got the drive and all the rest of it? Um, look, I think um, oh, that was quite a few years back when it was like over 20 years ago now. But um, yeah, I think that the deal just come through with another ex-sports um, and racer, um, Derry Van Zelm, and, and we made contact. Um, you know, I can't remember the nitty gritty because I was still young and young and silly, but um, yeah, like we made contact and then pretty much went to, to Bathurst and um, Tom Smazir was driving the car and we were coming forth and then he had a little, he always said to me, you know, be careful at the top of the mountain, you know, in his, in his accent, you know, don't go offline and keep it in the, you know, on, on the racing line and, and pretty much the first thing before I got in the car, he, he went offline and him and Garth Tander had a crash um, coming onto Conrad Strait. And um, yeah, so never really got the chance to start my first Bathurst, but um, you know, like that was one of the things that it pretty much told me straight away that motorsport has its ups and downs and that was one of the downs, you know? So I guess it made me stronger in the end. At least you got to race or to do laps at Bathurst. I guess that in itself would have been uh, something that you probably would have dreamt about. 
Yeah, I think it all happened pretty quickly. Like, I mean, that was 1999, I think it was. Yeah, and it was only like my second year in sports sedans and that sort of happened. And so it all happened pretty quickly. So um, to be at Bathurst and to drive, you know, with a lot of the, um, you know, I guess iconic heroes of, of the sport, you know, Dick Johnson, Peter Brock, Thomas Zero, Mark Scaife, all the, all the big names in motorsports. So that was something that probably happened very quickly. And, you know, I probably didn't take, take it in enough back then, um, you know, still in the old garages at Bathurst and, you know, it was raining at certain times and the water's running through the garages and, you know, it's quite a lot different to the heritage and that, you know, of, of the, the today, you know, like, you know, you've got massive garages and everything's so clean and plenty of light. Back then it was like dungeons, you know, you go into one garage and it's, that's the Castrol, you know, Perkins garage and they all, all had, had character back then. It's quite a bit different to what it is now. So, um, but, you know, I probably didn't soak it in enough and get enough photos and experience it which I could look back now and say, gee, it was, it was quite an experience. Tony, you had other opportunities at, at Mount Panorama as well. And how did they sort of come about? Because you did some time with DJR and with Kelly's as well. Yeah, so the DJR one started, um, that was more so the um, Konica series back then. And um, we put, we did most of the year. Then we had a few issues with, with the car and, and a bit, little bit of politics involved. But... Um, and then and moving on to some other co-drives with Brightech and Kelly Racing. And um, look, I mean, it's it's quite a bit different to what it is now with the the, the car of the future, which is what they're using now. Um, the cars are so close. And back then you had, you know, chassis 46 or 47 of Perkins Motorsport. And, you know, and, and different cars are different. Um, a lot of cars back then were pretty tired. So if, unless you're in the top 10 cars, um, back then, you, you had no chance of really showing what you had, but it was just what it was, you know. But um, and today, now the cars are so close, and you know, one and a half seconds splits the field, and you know, they're probably, you know, I spoke to a few guys, and they're a lot more enjoyable to drive and stuff. But it's what it is, and um, I don't, I don't sort of take anything from my past and say oh, I should have done this, should have done that. But it's made me the racer I'm today, and you know, I've always enjoyed those opportunities. But going back to sports sedans, I think. You know, just the environment and stuff was quite a bit different. It was more family orientated, and you know, the old sports sedan drivers have have a drink after the race meetings and stuff. So yeah, it was quite a bit different, but um, nothing I wouldn't start never do again. You touched on family, which is is massive part of sports sedans, not just uh, B and M Riccadello Racing. It's all of the sports sedan teams. There's you know their best mates and buddies get together and and go sports sedaning. Is that a big attraction for you and your dad, Basil, to get together and do the, you know, the father-son type of thing? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like, you know, we've pretty much grown the team and, and even bought a bigger transporter because, you know, the family that comes away racing. So um, it's not necessarily what we need for the truck and, you know, like um, carrying spares and stuff. Like my, my kids come racing, my wife, my mum still comes and my uncle comes. So it's it's more the, the transporter's getting bigger for the family to, enjoy uh, motorsport so um and, and one of the things too which is probably good that's that's changed in in motorsport in general you know back when when i was racing v8s it was pretty much you at the driver there and there was no distractions now you know they've embraced the kids they've embraced wives in motorsports and i think that's a massive thing that um you know you've got a lot more support and you can probably deal with a lot of the pressures but you know sports and hands and sports and hands you go there and yeah you, you pretty much say um 
you know, my family goes for a picnic, but Riccadello Racing or Riccadello family goes motorsport racing, and that's that's our form of a picnic. So, um, you know, we embrace that, and it's and it's good to see other families like the Tomasis and and um, you know, even the, the Crusoes who are who are driving is driving the Audi. Um, their whole family gets involved, which is is great to see as well. The, also, that, that covers a lot of the uh, people that are in the sport now. The um, I'd like to hear your impression because we're a grassroots podcast. Sports sedans have raced at state level as a national category. They've raced at national level with supercars and with other major events. <clears throat> the what are those? What are the best meetings there? The ones where it's more laid back, or the ones where you've got to fit into the time schedule and you get laps cut and all the rest of it? Um, look, I think it's always good, you know, as much as people sometimes like to go to the supercar rounds and be involved, and some don't. I guess having a massive crowd around is probably an important thing, you know, and and that sort of does attract a lot of. Um, people to just go racing for that weekend. Um, I guess it doesn't really matter. Like it's any any race meeting you go to, as long as you win, that's the most important thing. So, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really matter. But um, um, look, you get a buzz either way. Um, once you're in the car and you're doing whatever, like sometimes you don't even realise what's going on around, whether there's cows in the bloody paddock watching you racing or, or you know, 20,000 people, it doesn't really matter. But at least, at least you're going racing and, you got something that you can, you know, you got something you enjoy doing. And I guess when COVID kicked in and then you, you don't do it for so long, you sort of miss it, you know. So um, I, I guess it's um, enjoyable just doing what you're doing and that's motor racing. I guess being on the track racing, you don't care who's watching. No, well, you don't really get to look at their facial expressions in sports then. So, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it doesn't really matter a lot. It's all like I said. It's always good to have that big crowd there, but it's also good to, you know, be treated like the main class every time you go out. So I think, um, you know, either way, it's 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 got its ups and downs for for either either option. Tony, I get to share the commentary booth with a a guy that's got exactly the same attitude as you about going to the track and winning. And during sports sedans in the Victorian series, I call races with Darren Hossack. Yeah. One of the best era, I know Gary and I were very fortunate enough to be involved in your rivalry within the sport. A, a multi-point question, rivals and people in the sport who you look up to and the reasons why you go racing. Yeah, look, I mean, um, obviously Darren, Darren Hossack, we've had our battles and, um, you know, some great battles. And, and you know, the interesting thing is when you get away from racing and later on, once you go to get past all the emotion of winning a race and having your battles on track and, you know, all that sort of extreme stuff, you know, we've got the same interests, which is um, cars and Tiranas and, and we enjoy giving back to the sport. Um, but I think um, he's definitely a sort of guy that you do look up to as well um, because he's always putting so much back into the sport. So that's one of the, like, as long as I, I guess, I'm the same, you know, I try to give back to the sport, whether it's go-karts, advice or anything like that. You know, people that have experienced a lot of those challenges and you work hard, you know, you do a lot of late nights, um, then go racing and, you know, you put everything into it. If you, As long as you can give as much back to the sport as possible, anyone like that is is definitely not on the sport. 
So who do you look up to? Who was it when you were, you know, in the early 90s, you were going, right, I'm going to go racing. Was it the, the people directly around with your father and, and driving your dad's Alpha, et cetera? Or was there someone further? Was it, was it Ayrton Senna or was it Alan Jones? Yeah, or something I think, like um, I think um, probably Alain Prost. I sort of liked, I enjoyed watching him race because he was smart about how he raced. Um, and, and Fanjo, like, but I, I didn't, they weren't the sort of person that I had pictures of them on the wall. And, you know, like, you, you just thought about who raced. And Senna obviously was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Michael Schumacher. But I think I liked the way, you know, Prost won his races, um, according to the doctor, I think it was. Um, was it the doctor or the professor? Professor. Professor, professor yeah. So, so with that, like, he was very smart in, in how he raced. And I think, you know, you've got, you need that smartness as well as the speed. So um, I think, you know, I could probably say I looked up to him back in the day, but, um, you know, now looking back to my own driving experiences, you definitely got to look up to my, my dad, you know, um, he's definitely put a lot into the sport, a lot behind me. Um, so that's definitely something that I was looking up to with not even knowing it. Um, so now I can look back and definitely say he was one of them. Um, and then you look at guys like Craig Lowndes that can just come into the sport the way he did and just, you know, was at the peak of his driving straight away and put pressure on the best, you know, Mark Scase and all those sort of guys. So, um, yeah, so that's – it's. I didn't really have anyone in particular, but those few guys that I mentioned are definitely one of them. And as for rivals, some of the folks you raced against in sports events particularly – yeah, I'm, look, Darren was definitely one of the biggest rivals. Um, before that, probably Kerry Bailey, um, the young punk up against the old boy, um, and he's still old now, so it hasn't, hasn't changed with that. But, um, you know, obviously, you know, well, no pouch pretty well. Um, he, he was, he's very smart in his racing, and, and that was one of the challenges. You never, when I met him early on, I mean, I, I was always there at the track watching him, but he he's very smart on the way he, he it's like he's conniving he understands he gives you questions and he always knows how to give you a question to get the answers that he wants to hear so he's very smart in that way but um yeah he was definitely a good rival um monorosos back in the day mick um more so I didn't, didn't race against cos um but when you go and look back at all the battles on the internet you know me and hossack definitely had our battles <laughs> that's saying something <laughs> I've got to I got to agree with that I reckon it was 2013 at Queensland Raceway was uh was probably the best race that I've ever called in 22 years of doing it when you two just went at it that whole race long and you were never more than millimeters apart luckily that day there was no coming together who, who won who won that race I can't remember or that weekend I don't think oh, uh, yeah I, don't I think it was Darren wasn't a good weekend wasn't a good weekend if Darren won what, and there's been the odd incident. There was, um, if memory serves me, Philip Island with Steve Tomasi, Darren, and yourself off yeah, the start. Yeah. yeah, that was an interesting one. Okay. Um, I remember the in car footage of that one, sort of. I didn't even notice I did it. I'm spinning off at turn one and lifting my visor up and looking around, and I'm, you know, meters, meters away from the bloody tie, tie wall. But um, that was definitely an interesting Well, it's another situation. To that too, the uh, I was watching the because I've seen the replays and called it for ABE in the post edit, and it had two thirty five on your 
starter at the yeah. time he got hit. Yeah. That's off a rolling start before turn one. Yeah, that was that was yeah, that was pretty quick, but that was pretty lucky as well. We got the car fixed up and got back. But I think um that cost us the title that year, maybe I can't remember. But no, it's what it is. Feeling it was the one that kept you in the title, but I might be wrong. Yeah, I don't know. We had we had that because I think we ended up having spoiler issues scraped on the ground, whatever the yellow flag. I can't remember exactly, but yeah, that was definitely an interesting one. And with Hossack, probably more at um, Malalar, turn one. Um, I was in front and he went off the racing line for, and it was raining that night that, that day. And he cleaned me up or I cleaned him up, whichever one you want to use. But um, I think it was, there was three into one corner wasn't going to work. Yeah, that was a pretty, that was a big battle too. But um, yeah, no, look, you look back and you think it could have and should have, but um, it wasn't that important. Now you look back and you think, mate, it made made us as racers and now we can have a chat and be mates, so it's all good, yeah. Malala was the scene of another great incident from one of the Clem Smith Trophy weekends where both you and Darren brought your respective cars to the track, but they weren't the actual cars that you raced that weekend. You ended up in a McLaughlin car and, and Darren ended up in Simon Fitz's Falcon. Tell us a bit about the deals behind the scene for that one. Um, look, I, I think that was after... Um, that was after the Alpha had the fire, I think. Yeah, the, the fire in the rear end. end. Yeah, same way. Yeah, so we had the fire and Darren, I think, blew an engine up on the Thursday practice. And um, I think, I don't know, I, I think one of the boys was just talking and, and it might have been Bob was talking to Jamie Gard and, and sort of just said, oh, you know, mate, if he, if he needs, a, needs a car, you can use mine. And I thought it was a bit of a, you know, just a tongue-in-cheek comment, but... You know, when when we sort of had a chat with Bob, mate, he was he was all for it, and it just shows the sort of character he was in the in the sport. He was uh, definitely one of the good guys. Um, and then Darren had his issue, and, and then he drove Simon Fitz's car that they were trying to finish building and put back together before the meeting. And um, it was full reset, like um, going into that, looking at the car, trying to work out the setup, trying to make it a bit quicker, trying to do this, and it was it was still bloody full on full on effort and then just remembering you get back home um, that night and knowing the truck's on its way back to Perth with a bloody car that's burnt down and oh, that was that was, a, that was an emotional weekend for sure but um, Bob McLaughlin, you know, he I don't think he's been around the sport for a while but um, he was definitely a, a, one of the one of the good guys. Also, um, you, you did a little bit of overseas racing. We, we, we've been neglectful if we didn't mention a couple of uh, races in, well, basically production cars. Um, yeah, so I did um, the Medeca 12-hour. Um, that was one of the races that, and it was it was like a production sports car. It ended up being like a pretty fast sports car with a V6 Chev in it and mid-mounted. And um, we ended up winning that. I won that with one of the princes of Malaysia, and um, that was definitely a really good experience. Um, I think I ended up driving seven hours or eight hours of that race um so it was pretty physically demanding and um very humid but that was that was a good experience how did that come about um we had a, a mutual friend who was the owner of the car had a, um we had like between me and the owner of the car had a mutual friend and ended up organizing a drive so um that went pretty quickly and we got involved and um that was that was a good good situation um to be in and um but, you know, like the way they, you know, when you're over there overseas, they go racing quite a bit different to what, what we do. And 
it's like a it's like a um, club meeting but with 25 people running everywhere and it's pretty full on so it was, it was good it was, I was the first Australian to or the non you know non um, Malaysian to win their race so that was that was a good experience then uh, Bathurst 12 hour in 2009 in uh, Evo yeah so I drove that one as well that was um, in the um, T- uh, the TWR um, Mitsubishi Evo and um, I drove the car with uh, a couple of Perth guys. Um, one of them was um, Stuart Castera, and um, we ended up coming second. And um, that was that was a good race. We we probably, I think we had the lap record, and we um, were first or second pretty much the whole day. Um, that was that was a really good experience. Is that a change from running in a sports sedan? Obviously, the car's a whole lot different power-wise, a whole bit, but does it take much to adapt or does it feel like, well, this thing's a snail compared to what I'm used to driving? Yeah, I don't, look, they are a little bit slow than obviously sports sedan, but to to actually step back and not be as involved as a mechanic and, and trying to fix the car then get ready to drive and, you know, all that stuff, it was, it was good to be, you know, to step back and actually enjoy the weekend. Um but you know you're still doing. I don't know. I think you're still doing probably 170 across the top of the mountain in one of those things. An Evo, Evo 10, four-wheel drive, turbo. You know, and it was a control category, so you still have to push it. Um, but when you've got the same sort of cars around you, and the pace is pretty intense, and there's only still a tenth or two tenths separating, it's, you still push hard, so you don't really worry about the outright speed as such. It's a good measure with uh, Stewie Costiero and Evo 10. He's Evo 10 royalty around uh, around Australia. So that was a, a good measure. Tony, it wouldn't it would be remiss of us to not ask and say, hey, COVID's over now. We're getting across the borders again. When are we going to see um, the uh, fastest alpha in the world powered by a Chev uh, back racing on the scene again? Um, look, we're trying to get it done this year. Um, and try to be there for one meeting or two. Realistically, with how busy we are at the work, at workshop and, and everything, for some reason with COVID for us, it has just been flat out and trying to make a bit of time. But I'm hoping definitely we should be back next year. Um, um, look, my wife's pregnant as well, so she's having her fourth baby in November. Oh, so congratulations. Throw, throw well something amongst the... Um, Amongst everything else, so that's another commitment. But um, so that's number four. So I told we might have to go minivan racing or something, you know. So um, <laughs> we we'll get another big truck. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah, it. But, another no, big dad. We've got to get a bigger truck. Yeah, that's it. But no, look, I, look, I wouldn't mind doing one this year if I can. If not, hopefully, definitely next year we'll be there. Um, the car's not far away. I've got. I actually just got all the bodywork painted today. Um, put some perspex in so i wouldn't mind getting on the the kumo tire and do some testing because we haven't we haven't run on that tire at all um even with two years of COVID and time to have a break but it feels like it feels like i'm in the same part of when COVID started i feel like not a lot has happened but we've been flat out you know so we've got to just try to squeeze in a few hours here and there and get it get it back together get it all finished up well, I've, cool. threatened, I've threatened you before that if you don't race the Alpha, we're coming over with a big glass box and a humidity crib and we're going to put it in there and it's going to go off to the Guinness Book of Records Museum because it is, you're in the Guinness Book of Records for winning all the titles in that uh, particular car. Yeah, no, look, it's... Um, when, you, when you look at it, like there's... Um, 
you know, and, and when you step back and look at motorsports, you probably, especially sports and in racing, you, you know, you probably 80% of the work's actually at the workshop and you get 20% to enjoy it. So there's still a lot of work to go. Um, we're, we're almost done. And I reckon once we're back, we'll have a crack again and um, give these young blokes a bit of a, bit of a hurry up. So I think, I think um, I'm probably giving them a chance now, let them have a bit of time in, in the long light, mate. <laughs> they'll be rubbing their hands together thinking we'll take the old dude down. Yeah, they want to get it. they'll be waiting for you, I can tell you. <laughs> that's it, that's it. The, um, the, the fact that you do all the work on the car yourself, basically, and you've got to transport it across the country, that's a mighty big effort for a family concern. Yeah, and look, there's always been, there's been a lot of help over the years. Um, but I guess the good thing is that we do most of it, you know, 90% of the work on the car ourselves, except for the fiberglass and paint work and stuff, um, um, or carbon work or whatever you want to call it. But the thing is that the more you do, the more time it takes. So, you know, we do the engines, we do the trans transaxles, we do everything in-house. We, we pretty much have all the axles made locally in Perth. We make everything in Perth, you know what I mean? So um, the more you do, the less time you, or the more time it takes to do it. So. I think once that's why once we come racing, um, everything's pretty spot on. And the reliability, people talk about, oh, you know the car, you know, you've been racing the car for same, so, so many years, the reliability should be good, you know, it's weaknesses. But every year that we have a pre-season, there's always something changing. And whether it's one thing by making a little bit more horsepower, um, then you break something, a weak point. You always have this weak point, and it's trying to manage that weak point, and that's why we... Uh, are good at what we do in regards to we can preempt something. So then we try to strategically improve certain parts of the engine and certain parts of the transaxle, and we can keep the car reliable. So it's not just, oh, you've been driving the car for 20 years, you know how to keep it reliable. It doesn't work that way. But we're always moving forward. And, um, you know, once we come back, I'm hoping that we'll pick up a little bit of pace and, and be on the money. Just a, a closing out question, Tony, just on the specs of the car. What is the basis of the, the Chev power plant and what is the transaxle? What's the actual designation of that transaxle you run? So it's a small block Chev and it's a uh, maximum 366 cubes, which is six litre. Um, we're still running the old style engine, not an LS style engine. Um, and, you know, there's numbers ranging from 650 to 750 and some people are even talking 800 horsepower. So... Um, that's quite quite massive for that sort of or that size of engine, all naturally aspirated um, with the chevs. Uh, then our, ours is a fuel and transaxle, and it's a VGC, which um, it's quite a big box, but it can handle the power and the and the torque that comes out of these engines. Um, but for us, we're still running a H pattern, so um, not a sequential, not a paddle shift or nothing like that. Still an old H pattern, so um, we're doing all right. It's still still old school. What's the uh, thoughts on cars running paddle shifts? Yeah, it's definitely good. I mean, I, I don't mind it. I, whatever it is, you know, like I think there's certain aspects for some people they should probably concentrate on certain things more than others. But, you know, if you've got the money and you want to put a paddle shift in it, mate, by all means. But um, it's definitely one of those classes that there's so many extremes that you can have an H-pat, you can have a sequential, you have paddle shift, you have... Um, six litre chevs, you have five litre engines that can rev a bit harder. You know, like everything, there's so many opportunities, rotaries with turbos that it, you can, there's, there's one circle, right? And the circle, 
everyone has a different opinion of how the circle needs to work. So all these different um, mindsets and you know strategies to to get that speed out of a car. It's amazing how close it is at the end when everyone's got all these different ideas. You know, so many different ideas can make make for such close racing. Well, from a um, grassroots point of view, if anyone was thinking sports sedans, what would be your recommendation? Should they start with a, a steel-based car or should they then progress to a space frame? Where, where does someone start who wants to run in a sports sedan? Look, if, depending on what it is that, and how much money you've got to spend or how much you want to spend, um, if you can buy a car that's already built and it's already at the front of the class, you'll be able to purchase it quite a lot cheaper than what you can actually what it actually would cost to build one. So if you can buy and strategically buy the right car, you know, you can actually be at the front of the class pretty quickly. Um, but don't buy it and then pull it apart and change everything and think you're going to go faster. Just go and enjoy it for, for 12 months and two years and then and have knowledgeable people around it that can help you. Because um, what happens, a lot of people always buy a car and then within six months they've pulled it apart. And the biggest thing with sports events is that everything's made for that car specifically. You can't just buy it off the shelf. So then by the time they design it, build it, put it, it spends, you know, it spends 10 years in pieces and you never enjoy it. So that's one of the biggest things. Go state level racing, put some tires on it, make sure it's safe, put some brakes on it and just go racing and enjoy it. Yeah, you're not wrong there about, uh, we're seeing quite a few cars disappear off the scene because they've tried to reinvent the wheel and it just doesn't happen. Yeah, that's right. And then they have blow-ups and then the big blow-ups cost a fortune and, and you never see them again. But, you know, there's always this. You, you just got to stick to your budget and you got to buy a good car from the start that you can, you know, do a few little things, tink here and there and and, and keep it as a, a good base, I guess. And, and you've got to make sure you can financially cover what you're doing. But, um, yeah, it's... Any, any any form, whether it's a steel body, whether it's a whatever, I think there's always classes amongst this massive class that you can you can race. And whether you come in first or whether you come in tenth and you're in your own little category, it doesn't really matter. At least you're racing. Yeah, with divisions based on lap times, it's always a good way that you fit, regardless of what sort of car you got, you'll fit into a group that you're competitive with. Yeah, that's right. And and as long as you go racing, and if you want to. You know, you go to back to the same track. If you can pick up a little bit of time every time you go there, then that's your own race on your own anyway. So um, you've just got to have a good um, good base that you want to want to go with, and make sure you bring your family and, and enjoy it. Do you see yourself doing anything else besides sports sedans in the future? Um, I've been thinking about going go kart racing, but I don't want to um, take any limelight from my son when I go because I'm. I'm <laughs> You might not beat him. Yeah, that's it. But I mean, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty intense anyway. Being the bloody chief mechanic and um, and lunch uh, lunch provider, so um, going racing and, and doing all that stuff. But um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I just enjoy going racing with mum, with mum and dad and the kids and that. So whether it's, I think sports sedan racing is where it, where it is. But if I did get the offer from someone to want to have a driver, I'm always open to helping out and, and having a crack at anything. So. We never know who's going to be listening to the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer podcast, Tony. So let's hope the offers uh, start to flood in. How is Orlando's karting going? Yeah, it's going. No, it's going good. Um, 
he's, he's doing karting and he's got um, he's pretty good at playing soccer as well. So around around football, so um, trying to manage school sports um, as well as club sports and, and go kart racing is pretty full on. So um, I'm helping out coaching with that team as well. So that's five days a week. So between everything else going on, it's pretty flat out. But I mean, who knows? Um, going back to what you were saying a few seconds ago, maybe you know, if, if Greg Murphy and, and Russell Ingle might get a call up for the Bathurst race, I'm, I'm open for that as well. <laughs> You're probably a bit more in tune than what they are as well. Maybe it's, a safer set of hands and a head behind the wheel too. Yeah, that's it. That's it. What's been what's fantastic is that with your young bloke now having some karting, that another generation of motor racing families coming into the sport. And we're seeing this across the nation everywhere these days. And it's only a, but a good thing that it gives them a leg up when they've got the experience above them or from their older uh, father, grandfather, what have you. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, even just the um, supercar race that was in Perth not long ago, um, I was walking out of the pits with Orlando and I saw um, Glenn Seaton and his son and, and we had a chat and I said, Cedar, you remember this young kid? We were at Bathurst together in Kelly Racing and he was he was just born that year. And, um, um, you know, it's good to see, like, he's such an, he's such an, I mean, he's an iconic person to the sport and another good, good bloke that, you know, looking back at the time that I had with him, you know, you look up to him and, it's good to see all these these old names coming back, Seaton, Johnson, you know, Morris, and all the different families that are involved that keep coming back for to race cars. You know, it's pretty crazy. Well, I think we might wrap that up about there. It's been fantastic to you talking to you, Tony, and yeah, no uh, we can't wait to see you back on track with the mighty Alpha over this side of the world. Come back soon, as quick as you possibly can. Yeah, looking forward to it. Can't can't wait. Well, how good was that, Daz? That was a great interview with Tony. Can't wait to see him back on track, particularly on our side of the country. Yeah, it's good to see uh, the um, precision Intel uh, sports sedans are going to be massive once uh, they get back rolling again. I'll tell you what, when they went, welcome back old 11 times, they're going to know they're uh, all about it. Hey, guys, we uh, were lucky enough, both you and I, we've been doing it for a long time now, since 2007. You've been doing it longer than that. With me, the old Shannon's Nationals boy has an it come of age. Sydney Motorsport Park for round three of what is now the Shannon's Motorsport Australia Championships. And so much came out of that weekend, didn't it? You, your, uh, our, our category we've been calling together for a long time, production cars, 300K race, no, uh, no yellow flag or no passing under yellows, no safety cars. How good was that? Just pure racing. Well, they had a fuel stop and a tyre stop. Some of them had to go back for more tyres. Some of them had to go back for more fuel. But what a fantastic race. Um, also on that program, the prototypes. I'm fascinated. And we were up talking to those guys in their pit area, which was on the old, on the um, short circuit. And to hear how this BOP works within that category. They're all prototypes. They're all different. They might they look the same from a distance, but they'll have different wings, different drivers. So they actually apply a BOP per car, per and driver combination. It's fascinating, and they produce and the, the way racing. it's ranked. The way it's ranked is that the, the team or the driver can actually choose which part of BOP they get applied to their car. And I tell you what, there'll be one Ricky Capo that will be starting at the next race meeting with some uh, 
BOP applied. How was that Praga R1? Ah, awesome. Turbo Renault powered and um, certainly good. And the whole concept of cars, the fascination with what engines they've got, you know, turbo Renaults, turbo per, uh, Peugeots, the Hayabusa engine, the, the also the um, Honda engines as well. So they have a whole uh, gauntlet of different types of engine and chassis combinations that they can work with. Well, the, the Wolves, you know, they've, they've got various two-litre 1600 um, and, and turbocharged. And the other one is, of course, the Radicals mix it up amongst the group. So the Radicals had the Radical Australia Cup, but Neil Muston and Phil Hughes and a couple of the others, Peter Padden and Chris Perini, joined in. They didn't, didn't get to the end of Sunday because they had such a big program in, in the Cup. But um, the, the 2.7-litre V8 of Phil Hughes and the 3-litre V8 of Neil Muston. Now, Neil Muston led a race in the uh, 3-litre SR8 during during one of the races he did eventually get gazumped by um, john paul drake coming through in the the joker mobile by the way did you, did you see up close with that all the whole livery all over the car is just <laughs> and he dressed <laughs> his driving suit he's got the joker suit on uh, john paul drake a, a definite character down there but that um that prototype series is is absolutely something different and then when you jump over to the Radical Australia Cup, where they're all all SR3, all 1500cc RPE, as you mentioned, Hayabusa-type power plants, that racing over a 50-minute race and a 45-minute race was was awesome. Well, I think the thing I took out of that was that one race, it's basically a east versus west because we've got a rise racing from Western Australia and Garth Baldwin racing from New South Wales, and they went head-to-head head head and each scored a 1-2. Yeah, I tell you what, the um, the Arise Racing, when they wandered over here, they didn't actually wander, did they? They stomped their way over here at uh, Phillip Island and started winning races. And the guys are sight unseen of Phillip Island, you know, one of the most dauntingly fast racetracks and in a, in a radical, which is massively fast, you know, under, under the car and over the car aero. And uh, they've done a terrific job. Very, very impressed with the Arise Racing uh, attitude that they go racing with they're, they're there to have fun but i tell you what when the helmet goes on and the business starts they are they are right at it good to see um uh chris Perini and peter padden continue with their uh, rivalry and, and elliot throwing it in there as well um, there was some some good racing some old stages in there uh, bill medlin mixing it up as well so it'll be interesting to see how uh, the next round for both radicals and prototypes uh, go there was um, there was Trans Ams also there as well, the country's fastest growing category of uh, V8 big bangers, and and the best driver in the in the category by far would have to be Nathan Hearn. He, he didn't end up winning the weekend. He had a mechanical drama in the second race, and unfortunately, it was a DNF. But started real grid in the third race and finished second. Not a bad effort. Also, uh, Twin Car Masters were there as well, and John Bauer scored his forty first round win. How's that? But probably more emotional was the fact that Cameron Tilly won the last race in the Valiant Pacer. Wasn't um, that something to behold? Tears. Yeah, absolutely something to behold. The, the, the big blue Pacer coming across the line there was fantastic. Porsche Michelin Sprint Challenge. Um, well, this category continues to amaze me. Last year's National Formula Ford champion, Tom Sargent, and this absolute gun from New Zealand, Ryan Godfrey, blazed away they just absolutely i'm sorry brian wood just drove away from the field in all of the races it was fantastic and i think one of the best things out of it 
and the Formula Ford team need to get onto this is they need to advertise the fact that Tom Sargent jumped out of a Formula Ford into a Porsche. Now, they didn't even have a fuel tank for that car three weeks before. He's done no testing and he's winning races in the Porsche Michelin Sprint Challenge. There's some big eyes on him. Yeah, and Ryan Wood, he, he had a suspension collapse in practice on the Friday and they had to build that car up to get it ready for the it's race. He two races. And yeah, also Courtney Prince. You, what magic. Jeez, I don't know where she learned to start, but she's good. And it might be Darren Hossack had something to do with that. He's been mentoring her a fair bit in Aussie racing cars and possibly in the Porsche as well. I didn't see him on the weekend, but I know he's been around when she's been in the Aussie racing cars, but she knew how to get that thing off the line. Yeah, well, um, Darren was right alongside her at Winton the week before in the Aussie racing cars and was was very much deliberately there to be uh, helping her with her approach and, and the way she, once she's preparing herself to get in the car, etc. So that's been fantastic. Um, S5000, um, again, a small field of eight cars, but uh, as uh, Richard Crail, Australia's open wheeler calling specialist, is uh, always in an open wheeler race, says you only need two cars for a great race, and that's pretty much what uh, the S5000 did. Well, let's face it, Daz, over the years, there has never been big open wheeler fields, but we've had some fantastic racing. It doesn't matter if it was Formula 5000, Formula One, well, sorry, Formula uh, Pacific, uh, Formula 3, now S5000. They've all produced some great, fantastic uh, seasons. It is interesting, Gaz. We can all get a little bit uh, bleary-eyed and a bit sort of uh, teary about Formula 5000. But in the, the Tasman series and the Rockman series and the Glowweed series, you'd rock up with 14 or 15 Formula 5000s. By the feature race, you had nine of them start the race. And by the end of it, you had four get to the line. Yeah. And, exactly. and, and, and you... The whole thing behind S5000 was this emotional push, which, you know, um, Landon did all the hard work behind it. But it, it's gonna, we're all going to be bleary-eyed till we you know, see 20, 20 of those cars on the grid, except they're at the Melbourne Grand Prix where they, uh, they all come out of the woodwork and want to have a drive. Um, but that's, you know, that's a, a feature, you know, a real feature event, not a, not a grassroots-type racing uh, Affair. And of course, um, TCR, great uh, from my perspective, was really good to see Luke King back being competitive after he missed the, the first round in Tassie and now driving a Hyundai, jumped out of the Audi and into the Hyundai. Well, the thing I like about TCR is the fact that a lot of those guys came from grassroots racing. <laughs> uh, Jordan Cox, for instance, came out of improved production. Um, most of the others have either done XLs or something like that. And they've been given this opportunity and they've shown what talent they've got. Ian McDougall raced a mini in uh, Victorian sports sedans. And uh, yeah, you're right. They, they've all come from, from something else. And it is interesting that some of them are putting, you know, putting maybe their improved production car or a Formula V just to one side to go and have a bit of a dabble at, at something different. And uh, I think the, the TCR Formula and the, the Shannon's Motorsport Australia Championships going under lights both on Friday and then again for the racing on, on Saturday, although I was getting a bit long in the tooth and a bit croaky at the end of 12 hours on air on Friday. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the big guns took over. And one thing, I'm going to put this on the public record. Matt Nolte, absolute genius motorsport commentator. Uh, when Fabian Coulthard went off at turn two, and, and how deep was the grass all the way around the track? Because, <laughs> because of all the rain, you get a lawnmower bogged every time you go out there. And literally, that Stansport car went in 
and it was just weaving its way through the long grass. And Matt Nolte said, it looks like a blue crocodile working his way through the grass. And I was like, where does that guy come up with that sort of thing? It was just brilliant. So I think, that, I think I think I think Fabian Coulthard stands for car from now on should be called the Blue Crocodile. Yeah, it'll probably stick now as well. So that was basically what the Speed Series, the last round, because the next round comes up at the end of June at Phillip Island. Well, it's not so much the Speed Series; it's the Shannon's Nationals. Should clarify that. Shannon's Motorsport Australia Championships. Yeah. Uh, we we parked the Shannon's Nationals a couple of years ago, and now we're into the. The Motorsport Sorry. Australia Championships. 25th and 26th. Still got the, uh, the, <laughs> the Shannon's Nationals uh, hoodie on at the moment. Um, but apart from that, though, we go to that meeting and, of course, we've got production cars with four one-hours. We've got um, uh, the, the, the Porsches on again there running their sprint series and there's some other categories there. Yeah, the, 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 the Porsche 944 is going to be on down there as well. They've supported the... The Shannon's events before at Phillip Island. Mark Cars Australia have got their um, yeah. their event, and uh, of course the GC Marine prototype series will be on down there as well. Um, of course, June thirteen coming up very close now. Feet Desert Race. Um, oh, love there's, this. A, there's a ripper. I'd love to go back again. I've been to seven of those back in uh, the nineties, as uh, just reporting them and. Uh, that's something that's grown. I went the second year that the cars were allowed to run because it was originally called there and back because you went to think and back again. And it was for bikes only for many years. And then they decided that they'd run cars. They had 13 year there the first year. And I think this year they capped the entry at 200 cars. Yeah, it's a ripping race, that one there. And, of course, um, the same weekend as Phillip Island is the ARC rally of Tasmania. So... Uh, all the rally nuts will be heading to uh, the Apple Isle that weekend, August 12 and 14. Got to remind you, the Victorian State Circuit Racing Championships are on at Sandown, promoted by the Victorian Sports Sedan Association. So, yeah, we, note we, that one down. We can't uh, forget, too, that uh, there's a historic meeting at City Motorsport Park on the long weekend. It's June 12, 13, I think, from memory. Uh, it's called the Sydney Classic. Lots of uh, Group C and Group A cars there, so that's well worth the price of admission alone and it's not expensive to go to those meetings and let's not forget that of course the next supercar outing is at darwin um coming up the weekend after that and of course there's a grassroots category running there that we all we we look forward to each year that's the combined sedans that's the local categories so i had 22 i think at the last meeting last weekend which was the first weekend or last weekend of may um, they have XLs, HQs, Commodore Cup and improved production. And you can bet that'll be uh, a big field that'll rock in from interstate to join them. You'll get cars from Queensland, some from New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia usually support it pretty well. And Western Australian guys will be up there. And um, if going by previous years, there's some really good racing happening. Well, it's a different podcast we do here, Daz. We like it because it goes towards grassroots motor racing. And this is a probably part of the sport that we don't hear a lot about. And we hope through this podcast, we're going to hear a lot more about uh, grassroots racing in the future. I think that's fantastic, Gaz. The Napa Know How Motorsport Academy is uh, going to be a great resource for uh, the racers. And um, look, if all else fails, the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer podcast um, we can always have the Gaz and Daz show. I always put you first because you're the senior. No, I put you first because you're the more experienced. Well, thank you very much. 
Until next time on the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast, I'm Darren Smith and I'm Gary O'Brien. Bye. You've just listened to another Network R production. 